Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. The Chris and Amy Show, sponsored by St. Louis Cardinals Baseball. Cardinal tickets are on sale now and start at $55. Details at cardinals.com slash holiday. Okay, three, two, one, hit it. It's the Chris and Amy Show. You know who it is. Also, if you didn't know, this is called the show. Now, Amy Marks scores Chris Ranji on KMOX. Ah, good morning, friends. It is Chris and Amy today. Oh, my gosh. Welcome back, friends. Hey, thanks for having me. It's so good to be back. (laughs) It's, we're back to, am I here? Yeah, I hear you. Okay. Uh, We're back together for the first time in seven years. It's unbelievable. You went on vacation for two weeks. I was on vacation for a couple days. You were gone forever, ever, and everybody listening knows it. That's not even remotely true. Actually, it might be a little bit. Um, Listen. We're glad you're with us today. It's chaos. You're back and suddenly it's chaos. I don't know what to do. 314-436-7900. That's the phone number to call or text. The uh, voicemail line, Amy. 43, what? (laughs) Voicemail. Oh, 314-944-944. 1120. That's right. It's easy. Say it again. 314-944-1120. You can drop us a voicemail whenever you want. You got it? I hope Steve isn't listening. Who this is cares? like a this is a race. It's a holiday week. It's a sprint where the sprinters fall off the blocks and then have to get back up to start running. And then they still win the race. It's an inspiration. I've seen that happen. We're like secretariat, baby. He didn't fall. No, but he had a uh, I think he was a slow start, didn't he? <laughs> And then he just took off. I think he liked to start in the back. And then he won by 26th lengths. Which is a horse. Or 27, something like that. Uh, At the show KMOX, if you want to follow us on social media. Time now for the top of the order. The top three stories everybody will be talking about. Well, the Supreme Court in Colorado ruled that Donald Trump is ineligible for the ballot in the 2024 election. Wow. What is going to happen next? We will have a legal expert talk about it in this hour. And more information information coming out about the police car that crashed into Bar PM the other night in off of South Broadway. The community rallying around the bar, but still the investigation continues. And analysis has shown that the 118th Congress, which is the current Congress we are living through, is one of the least effective, least production in modern history. We will talk about that as well hey, on the show today. Before we get to uh, the very important topics, uh, like former President Trump and yes. RPM, and yeah, yeah, something happened while you were gone that is incredibly upsetting. And I what? think, apropos of today's discussion about fraudulent elections and insurrection. Okay. You, sir, Chris Ranji, (laughs) 
You were voted <laughs> as a finalist for positivity. And not just positivity, but the most positive person in the entire company. Oh, wait. Let me read the language here. Chris Ronjley, Ronji is a finalist for positivity. He, quote, leads with courageous brightness. He demonstrates positive reinforcement yes. and kindness yes. by default. Yes. What's the objection? This is, you know, what you, you the, this is not my reality. It's not Andrew's reality. What are you talking about? What kind of junk voting took place? What did you do? Listen, I to get put on this finalist list for courageous brightness. There was a careful analysis. No, uh, that was conducted by the management here at Odyssey St. Louis, and after that careful analysis, very thorough, from what I'm told, they compiled the list of the finalists and they decided that I was one of the four most positive people. Here. This inspires zero confidence in our leadership, at what, least for what me. Do you, what do you mean? <laughs> this is the type of decision they're making. They're assessing. They are assessing the, are you, the employees. Are you calling our bosses substandard? I'm not calling them substandard. Corrupt, maybe? I'm not sure. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody's oh, up God. in arms about this. I heard, I heard that you were... Uh, Poo talking me. You guys were poo talking me last week, weren't you? Well, of course. You weren't yeah. here to defend yourself. So right. that was That's a lot be- of fun. That is absolutely the best time to talk bad about somebody mm-hmm. when you do a show. Behind their back. Is when they're not there. Behind their back. On that the is, air. It's it great. is. It's the best time. I love Especially it. when the person that uh, you're engaging with uh, <laughs> can build on the poo talking. Because this guy, Mr. Positivity, also me. is 100 years old. And says things like, oh, that slaps. It's yeah. a real banger. Nobody, yeah. you can't, it's off-putting, it's upsetting. What are you talking, that's a positive thing to say. Mm-mm. When you say that a Mm-mm. song slaps, you're saying this song is so good. The minute you say a cool word is the minute about? that that word dies. No, I'm no, I'm not a, I'm not a local TV news anchor. <laughs> it is true, for, I, I love our news anchors and our reporters here in town. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not as good as the KMOX newsroom, but, you know, still. All very good. News anchors keep hair product companies booming. I think it is universal across the board in every city Mm -hmm. in the country that once the local news anchors get a hold of words like Riz. It's over. It's over. Yeah. All you need is one segment where they look at each other and kind of awkwardly say, oh, would you say Jingle Bells (laughs) is a real banger? (laughs) Yes, Bob, I would. Coming <laughs> up at 10. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be the and end I of don't it. make the rule on that. That's just been true for a very long time. 314-436-7900. How and why did this happen? Chris Ranji, the most positive person, leads with courageous brightness yeah. at our company. I think it Which encompasses out. six radio stations. That, to me, I don't think so. passes the smell test. There's no way. I think it checks out. Um, a text message right now yeah. to 314-436-7900 says, Taco Bell also gets voted best Mexican regularly. <laughs> that is true. That's a great point. Thank you, texter. And Taco Bell is great. It's great. How many, how could, <laughs> there are very few places mm-hmm. you can go to, spend about $9, 10 
and you can get food for 55 people. Here's what I think happened. I think leadership, they met in a room and they said, we got to throw this guy a bone. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's going well for him. Nothing's going that well for him. poor bastard. Let's give yeah. him something. He's lonely. Yeah. He never sees his family in Chicago. Right. He's a Bears fan. Awful. And he's a communist, so we need to throw this guy a bone. Yeah. That I can appreciate. Well, um, <laughs> I'm very, listen, I'd like to thank everybody who nominated me. Uh-huh. And I think this is it's going to be the highlight of my career, probably, when I end up winning. Okay, if you win. When I beat Julie Tristan. Yeah. And. Uh, Brad. Brad. And who was the other person? Mm. Well, I probably... But here's the thing. If you win. You get to go to another work event. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's Amy Marks Course. I'm Chris Ranji. Um, it is a holiday week, and I can't stop thinking about the fact it feels like it's over already. It's just. Wow. Is that I, because you celebrated already? No, 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 no. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. No, oh, it just it feels it feels like it is so it it is rapidly approaching, but it feels like it's almost over. And I, no, I hate that. So we're don't gonna even we're say gonna keep that. the spirit alive. The Christmas spirit, the holiday spirit will be alive for the remainder of the week as long as you're here, Amy, okay? So oh, we're gonna do it all well, week. Well, you're gonna be here the remainder of the week. We're both here. A text message says uh, election fraud continues. That's listen, exactly right. Listen, come on. Come on. I am positive. Stop the steal. Stop. You know what? I'll tell you what. If I don't win, I may or may not concede. We'll just have to see what happens. Well, here's the thing. If you win, obviously you should have won. If you don't win, it was rigged. Absolutely. Speaking of that, speaking of election fraud or... Don't be mad at us, folks. We're having a little fun. It's the holiday season. Our friend Chris Ranji got nominated, so it's fun to talk about corruption and fraud. Speaking of that, yeah. the Colorado Supreme Court has ruled former President Trump cannot be on their ballot. We will discuss that when we come back. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. On KMOX. CBS News legal expert David Becker talking about what the Colorado Supreme Court has ruled. And we get that ruling uh, late yesterday. A very surprising thing to, to see. And I, I honestly did not think we would see any state do something like this, knowing that a lot of this was on the agenda mm -hmm. um, for some of the states and that people had brought uh, lawsuits forward to try to get him removed from the 2024 presidential ballot. I know that in some cases it was voters, a group of voters like what happened in Colorado who brought that case and ultimately ended up with the Supreme Court there. Now the question is, does it move to the Supreme Court? And what is in question right now is Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which is from the Civil War era. And this was right after the Civil War, and it was clearly in response to the um, the insurrection, the war that we ended up in, the sedition and, and whatnot. And it says this, no person shall hold any office, civil or military, under the United States, who having previously taken an oath, 
as an officer of the United States to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. What the Colorado Supreme Court says is that he qualifies for that and that they have found evidence on their own or have seen evidence on their own. Forget about special counsel Jack Smith and anything that that he has brought forth that he had, that the the court has seen enough in a 4 to 3 ruling that says he does not belong on the ballot because he fits this mm-hmm. that he fits i guess the label of insurrection and i honestly amy i i i, I know that we all know my personal feelings on him I don't think he should be president. I think he's bad for the country. I know that a lot of people listening don't agree with that, and that's perfectly fine. You're welcome to have those opinions. I'm still not exactly sure. From a legal perspective, right. I don't know if this is the right thing or not. We know the Supreme Court is. I mean, it hasn't been said officially, but they're going to weigh on this. They have to because this could lead to others um, other states following suit. So it has to be addressed by the Supreme Court. Yeah. So legally, I don't know how I feel about it. Well, I mean, the color, the Colorado Supreme Court legally, they don't know how they feel about it. And what I mean by that is they're acknowledging that this is territory that no court has forged before. They haven't gone into this territory before when it looks at disqualifying a potential or the leading presidential nominee of a major political party for a presidential election. It It's never happened before. Um, as you mentioned, the 14th Amendment created shortly after the Civil War. It was a Civil War era amendment. And part of the uncertainty is, here's the thing, you can have feelings about a person, Uh, and not like that person, you can feel that the law is inadequate to keep that person from taking action that is unethical or immoral. But ultimately, you have to follow the law. And does the law clearly cover former President Trump and or restrict him, prohibit him from running for president? And I know one of the, the issues of question here, in question here, is that, as you said, no person shall be a senator or representative of Congress or elector of president and vice president who have previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same. And the question is, does the office of the presidency fall under that language? Because if you read it strictly, you could make an argument the president doesn't fall under that language. At the same time, and this is what some of the arguments have been made, I find it very strange that anyone in the entire country can in, cannot engage in insurrection except for the president. Yeah, I, That would be weird to exclude be, the most powerful person. And I ask this question because I really don't know the answer to it. If you are at any time considered, if you are commander-in-chief, mm-hmm. is that not considered an officer of the United States? And right. maybe And maybe that's what's been ruled here. Um, and there are going to be so many different legal interpretations. I think that we can all agree on this, and maybe you don't, but I think... That once it gets to the United States Supreme Court, and, and it's 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 not just because it is heavily weighted conservative, but in part because of it, 
I do think this will get overturned. Do you? I, yeah, I, I, I don't think this is going to stand. I, I, I don't, don't know. I don't know what this Supreme Court, I don't know. And here's the thing. Whether it is overturned or whether it stands, I don't even necessarily will think it think that it will split along the expected conservative liberal justice lines. I can no, see I crossover. You, I don't think I, it's I going to split you. along. Well, I agree with you all, on that. These are the liberals and these are the conservatives. I don't think it's going to be split that way. No, I think what will end up happening is it'll be mostly conservatives who vote to overturn it. Maybe one mm-hmm. flips to the other side, and I think you might get a liberal do the same thing. And this is where I hope, and I maybe it's naivete, but I like to think that the Supreme Court justices are better than we are, at least when it comes to distinguishing between emotions about a person and the letter of the law, because there can be a law that you absolutely hate. You can't rule based on how you feel about the law. You have to rule based on the correct legal inter- interpretation of that law. So the Colorado Supreme Court said, yes, the president is an officer of the United States. A second question would be, can the Supreme Court say, yes, he's an officer of the United States and he engaged in insurrection if he hasn't been convicted of engaging in insurrection. So those are the two big questions. Let's say we all agree he's an officer of the United States. We still have the question of, can a court decide, yes, he engaged in insurrection if he hasn't been convicted of it? Yeah, that's I, I believe. And this is what's interesting. There was a a 126 uh, page review. It was a law review that was posted back in either September or October by a couple of um, conservative people who are both professors at at universities, William Bode out of the University of Chicago, Michael Stokes Paulson from St. Thomas. And the conclusion they arrived at is that it does apply to him and that the language of it, quote, sweeps in broad range of conduct attacking the authority of the United States. And they believe, and this is a couple of conservatives, Mm -hmm. and I doubt they're going to be in the majority, but it is just a... It's a sample of, of what you might see, and they believe that it does fit. And they do believe that the Department of Justice or Congress do not have to factor in the disqualification, that the language of the amendment itself mm-hmm. says that he does not belong in office and he should not be on the ballot. So I think this will be very interesting just from a legal perspective to see what they do. Yeah. Politically speaking, I don't know if this is a good thing or not. I am somewhat uncomfortable, even though I think he's unfit. I don't mm. think he should be our president. Yeah, it's. But but still, the, 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 I'm 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 at least able to concede that I don't know if this is the right thing to do. Right, and like, what unintended consequences, if any, does this does is this a catalyst for? Remember, Jack Smith, the special counsel, has not charged former President Trump explicitly with insurrection or rebellion. He has charged him with conspiracy to defraud the U.S., conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of and attempt to obstruct an official proceeding and conspiracy against rights. Does that fall under that umbrella? Yeah, but again, I, and I don't know, but yeah. again, those the, the two uh, legal authors I mentioned they think that it doesn't matter, that it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. dependent upon what the Department of Justice does. And again, that's why we're going to talk to a legal expert about it, somebody who is a professor of political science at Williams College. 
He is Chair of Leadership Studies. Dr. Justin Crow will give us his take on this. When we come back, it's Chris and Amy on KMOX. It's up to the Supreme Court to determine whether or not Trump will appear on the Colorado election ballot. If the U.S. Supreme Court rules that Colorado was correct, we can expect to see other state Supreme Courts follow suit. That's CBS News legal contributor Jessica Levinson about the ruling by the Supreme Court in Colorado that former President Trump cannot be on the ballot, that he is ineligible because of the 14th Amendment, Section Three, And to give us more insight on that and what's to come, we visit with Dr. Justin Crow, Chair of Leadership Studies and Professor of Political Science at Williams College. And he is with us on the Quiver River Electric guest line. Good morning, Dr. Crow. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. And yourself? We're doing okay here. Just trying to um, really make sense of this ruling. Um, we'll get to what's to come next. But let's just talk about how you see this. Does this seem to be the correct decision made by the Supreme Court? And do you think other states will then follow suit? Well, I, I guess we have to think about this in a couple of ways. There's, there's the correct legal decision, and then there's what's likely to be the, the political response and the political outcome. Uh, the, the questions really in front of the Colorado Supreme Court here were, um, one, do, did President Trump um, engage in an insurrection on, on January 6, 2021? And if so, does the 14th Amendment's insurrection clause in Section 3 um, apply to his conduct uh, as president and, and bar him from, from future office? Um, and I think, there's a, I think there's a reasonable legal case that the court made the correct legal decision, that if we look at um, what January 6 was and what President Trump, how President Trump acted in that day, that that he did um, engage in an insurrection. Uh, the lower court in Colorado that was that was overturned by the Supreme Court had determined that that President Trump did engage in an insurrection, but that the clause in the Fourteenth Amendment didn't apply to the president because the president has a distinct officer. The Colorado Supreme Court disagreed with that and said that it did apply to the president as it would apply to any other um, political officer. And so I, I think there's a there's a reasonable legal case to be made here that. President Trump is barred from from the ballot by virtue of his activities on January 6th. The, the question there is a lot of that hinges on on what we think January 6th is and how we should interpret it and what's necessary um, to prove that it was an insurrection. There's a lot of arguments going around now, and one of them came from one of the dissenting justices on the Colorado Supreme Court, that President Trump was denied due process here, effectively, that he wasn't allowed to prove that he wasn't engaged in an insurrection. And I think there's going to be a, a powerful argument made that um, even the ability to bar someone on the by virtue of the 14th Amendment insurrection clause requires some sort of independent determination, some sort of independent conviction of uh, a charge related to insurrection, which obviously has not happened yet. Right. I, that was going to be my question. He He hasn't been convicted. He hasn't even technically been charged with insurrection or rebellion. Special counsel Jack Smith has brought other charges against him that look tangential to rebellion or, or insurrection because of the attempting to obstruct constitutional processes. Does that language matter? 
There's going to be an argument by a lot of people that it does, and and it may well matter to the to the U.S. Supreme Court, which is ultimately where this is going to end up, almost certainly, um, about the the kind of factual determination that was made by the Colorado Supreme Court and by the lower court and uh, lower court judge in Colorado that that President Trump did engage in an insurrection. Um, that was not subject to uh, that. That was not the result of a criminal trial. Mm-hmm. Right. That was the result of a suit brought by um, brought by individuals who thought that, that President Trump should not be on the ballot. So there's going to be a, a, a case here. I think the the strongest objection, perhaps, to this on a, on a legal level is whether that um, that clause in the 14th Amendment requires some sort of independent criminal conviction um, to determine that someone actually has been engaged in an insurrection. Yeah, that's that was also where I was going to go with it. Just because um, we we've seen at least some analysis of it that says it doesn't matter. It did, the Department of Justice doesn't have to find um, that that he committed an insurrection. The court itself can do that. Does this does what one state does? Or I'm I'm guessing the answer is yes, but I want to know how much does it matter in terms of precedent. So if 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 Colorado has done this. Another state's similar lawsuit has been brought. Is it easier for them to make a similar decision? So legally, it's not binding, right? So there have been suits in what Michigan, New Hampshire. Um, legally, nothing that the Colorado Supreme Court did is binding on any other state. Politically, though, there's the question of of whether the Colorado Supreme Court has has kind of broken the seal here and has opened up a possibility that other states may choose to rely on that same sort of reasoning or may look to the Colorado Supreme Court as having taken the first step that other states or other judges or justices might not have been willing to do. So, again, legally, there's nothing binding about it. But politically, certainly once um, one actor takes a, a big step, it makes it more likely that others are going to be willing to do so. The two biggest questions which we've already talked about is, is the president an officer of the United States? So does his office fall under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment? And um, the conviction, the lack of charge, the lack of conviction on insurrection or rebellion. Those are the two big questions because he could be considered an officer, but the court could say, yeah, but he wasn't charged with rebellion. Or you could say he was guilty of rebellion, but he's not an officer. Which one of those, A or B, to you is the bigger sticking point? Um, to me, B is the bigger sticking point, uh, which is which is basically the the lack of a charge on insurrection. I mean, I think there, you know, the the lower court judge in Colorado made a determination that the president was not included um, in the language of the Fourteenth Amendment. I think there's been a lot of a lot of scholars who pointed out the ways in which historically, given the context of, of why the 14th Amendment was written, which was, of course, um, after the Civil War to prevent former Confederates um, from coming back into the U.S. government, um, that it would seem odd and counterintuitive to include lower officers in that um, bar, but not um, not a, a principal officer of the Constitution in the, in the form of the president. So I think it seems uh, it seems more likely to me that the objection is going to to come or that the complication is going to arise on on the more kind of due process question of a of a court has made a kind of administrative judicial determination not subject to a criminal conviction um, or even a charge on a related uh, related course of action. 
Dr. Justin Crow, a professor of political science at Williams College, with us on KMOX. You mentioned um, earlier that we would probably be looking at the next step here could very well be um, whatever decision is made could be more political. Do you think that the Supreme Court, when they do look at this, inevitably they will, when they take a look at this, how much will politics play into the decision they make? Well, I I think when we think about politics on the Supreme Court, we need to be precise about what we mean. So how much will politics play into it in the sense of you have a number of justices who are appointed by President Trump and perhaps some others who support President Trump versus a number who don't support President Trump? There's thinking about politics in terms of of partisanship um, on the one hand, and then there's thinking about politics in terms of the kind of political affairs and stability and, and, and broader context of the nation. Um, whether or not the first plays a role, it's, it's impossible to imagine that the second does not. It, the court has a sense, always has a sense, of kind of its unique role in the political system. The idea um, that it is final, not as Justice Robert Jackson once said, because it is infallible. It's not the last rule because it never makes a mistake. But in some sense, uh, again, as Justice Jackson said, it is infallible because it is final, right? Because it is the last one to make a ruling. It is ultimately the one that is going to stand and is going to be regarded as legitimate. And the court takes that very seriously. And we have here a situation that brings us back 23 some odd years to Bush versus Gore, Mm -hmm. in which the court then was also faced with the task of effectively deciding a presidential election. And here the court is not deciding a presidential election, and certainly Colorado is not going to be a state in any one sense that is going to be decisive in the presidential election. But the court is having to weigh in to an inherently political process on a politically controversial issue and topic. And, And that's something that the court usually does not like to do, um, does not like to veer off or, or, or get out of its lane, does not like to be drawn into what looks like the ordinary kind of hurly-burly of politics. And so the court is is almost going to be forced to do that in this instance, because obviously President Trump's team is, is appealing the ruling. The Colorado Supreme Court has stayed its own ruling. And I believe there's a clause in there that says that as long as this is being litigated, um, President Trump will remain on the primary ballot. So there's there's the kind of context of of a presidential election or of um, a presidential primary, at least specifically here, hanging in the balance. And and I think it's impossible to imagine that those sorts of considerations don't weigh on the court here. When you look at this decision, uh, this upcoming probably decision of the Supreme Court, do you see it as potentially precedent setting where it can change the trajectory of presidential elections? Or do you see the circumstances surrounding Trump in January 6th as an extraordinary outlier and won't really have a lot of effect on elections moving forward? I guess the latter. I mean, if we have a situation in which we are frequently faced with this kind of behavior, if we are facing a situation in which January 6th ceases to look remarkable, then I think we have larger problems as a democracy than the fact that the Supreme Court has set some precedent on who can and can't rule, uh, can and can't run for office. I guess the broader question or the broader way to think about it is this kind of what we would think about as 
politics by other means, the rather than um, trying to defeat someone in office, if we see an increased move to try to get people um, removed from ballots or banned from running for office or things like that. Um, again, I, I think that seems unlikely to me and is only coming up here because of the rather remarkable behavior um, that occurred on, on January 6th. We've seen some evidence of that in, in other places. So, for example, the willingness of, of both parties now to censure members of the opposite party in Congress or to try to remove members of the opposite party from committee assignments based on controversial statements or actions. There has been a sense in our polarized political world that once once the toothpaste is out of the tube on those, it's hard to get it back in. And then it becomes a constant tit for tat, um, each party kind of responding to the other in kind. This strikes me as another um, as a difference of of not merely degree, but a difference of kind. And so it strikes me as as unlikely that we're going to see future attempts um, of this magnitude or that this is just going to become a go to move by political parties to try to ban opposition from the Supreme uh, from the from the from the ballot. Excuse me. If you have, I don't know if you can answer this question in about 20 seconds, but off topic here, um, Justice Clarence Thomas has had a lot of attention uh, paid in his direction. And the latest is the report that um, there was a, a, the, he was receiving gifts because he was considering leaving the Supreme Court and there were conservative activists who did not want him to. And so ultimately may have taken money or gifts or whatever. It's all alleged. What is your take on that situation? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the reporting that's been done on this by ProPublica, among other outlets, about the um, connections between Justice Thomas and a number of wealthy individuals um, in, in the conservative political and legal establishment, I think goes to raise some real questions about um, the extent to which um, members of the court are truly isolated from broader political currents. I think political scientists have long said they're not. They're part of a political order. They're part of a political system. They have spouses who act in politics. They vote. They have political opinions. Um, but there's something of a mythology about the Supreme Court. They get up there in their black robes. They're separate from everyone else. When they come to the State of the Union, for those who continue to go, they sit there stoic and silent. They don't clap. They don't cheer. They don't stand up. They don't do anything. That they are somehow removed from politics. And I think part of what's been um, eye-opening to a number of people has been the ways in which Thomas and Alito, writing a, an op-ed in the Washington, uh, in this Wall Street Journal, for instance, in the last year, and others engaging more publicly on what seem like partisan polarized issues um, has really kind of opened people's eyes to the fact that the court is not isolated or separated from politics. And once we acknowledge the ways in which it's intertwined with politics and we acknowledge the ways in which justices are influenced by political actors um, or potentially influenced by political actors, then we start to have to ask serious questions about the awesome power that, that they wield and how and why it's legitimate in a, in a purported democratic nation. Dr. Crow, appreciate the time. Again, thank you for visiting with us. My pleasure. Take care. Dr. Justin Crow, Chair of Leadership Studies and Professor of Political Science at Williams College, uh, expertise in the Supreme Court and constitutional law, with us here on KMOX. It's Chris and Amy. Did you see that thing? I can't believe it. Something is obviously wrong. This is a joke, right? Oh, my God. Are you freaking kidding me? No way. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Don't feel bad. There's no way you could have known that. Now, did you see this with Chris and Amy on the show? Ron, so many things happened while you were gone, so uh -oh. I know you didn't see this, but uh -oh. a group of 
students in South Korea are suing the government because their college admission exam ended 90 seconds earlier than scheduled. So they're suing for 20 million won, which I believe is about just over 15,000, around $15,000 each is, to- I mean, of that 20 million won, $15,000 to each student, which would be the cost of a year's studying to retake the exam. Here's the thing. The country, South Korea's college admissions test is one of the toughest exams in the world. It's an eight hour test with back to back papers in multiple subjects. It says it not only determines university placements and jobs, but even future relationships. These are some of the measures they take to help students concentrate. They close the country's airspace during the test and they delay the opening of the stock market. So this is a pretty big test. The lawsuit was filed by at least 39 students and they all noticed that the bell rang 90 seconds earlier. They had a chance during lunch to go back and mark up blank columns, but they couldn't change existing answers. And they were also distracted and distraught. So now they have to study for a year. They closed the airspace and the stock market. Dude. That's how big of a deal this test is. How do you end it early? 90 seconds? That could be huge. that's That's a lot because some people work better on a deadline. Well, not only that, but if anyone knows how, like, standardized tests work, and this isn't even an eight-hour exam. This is, like, the ACT. 90 seconds is the time where you allow yourself to go back, make any last-minute cleanups, or just look at what you've done to make sure you like that answer and whatever. If you were questioning one answer, it could be the difference between, well, really deciding the trajectory of your life. Your entire life. Your life is over because Um, of that 90 seconds. Did you uh, Crazy. did you see Amy that Southwest Airlines mm-hmm. has to pay 140 million dollars? Remember that? Oh, yeah. Remember that foul up? Mm-hmm. Their their glitch or whatever in the hell they had going on, where all those flights were canceled. Yep. Thousands of flights were canceled back a year ago. That stranded almost two million people. Actually, more than two million people were stranded over the holidays. So 140 million dollars they have to pay in fines. You know what happened to me? First time ever, first time ever, yep. I was almost late to a flight. I'm re- Usually I get there in plenty of time. So my friends and I arrive to the airport. Mm-hmm. We get to Midway. We're all coming back to St. Louis. They all had TSA pre-check. I don't because I don't fly that much. It's worth it. Bro, is it? They were at the gate yeah. 45 minutes before me. I got through security finally because they had like three people working. Mm-hmm. Huge line. I was literally running. Yep. I heard my name being called like, hey, final boarding, about to shut the gate. I was freaking out. TSA needs to get their act together and I... start scheduling more people to work. See, they called your name. I told you that's why people who skip flights because it's cheaper to fly to a stop on a two um be a two stop flight than it is to fly to your right. final destination. That's why it can delay everybody. They were calling your name. What if you had decided, oh, I'm just gonna I got there skip s- out. I got there in plenty of time. They just did not have enough people working. Yeah, that's that's uh, it's out it was outrageous. It. I was losing my mind. I want to get global entry. 
That one, well, I don't know the difference. And I never travel internationally. What's the difference between that and clear and okay. pre-check? Here's the, here's the major difference. If you have TSA pre-check, you don't have to take off your shoes. If you have clear... You do. So even if the line is shorter and clear, you still have to take off your shoes. I have both, and I'm telling you, TSA PreCheck is the best. Global entry is TSA PreCheck for any destination around the world. Okay. Is what basically what it is. And um, so you get short lines. This is coming from someone who has traveled internationally ooh, just a handful of times I am in going, her life. I'm at, I don't fly that much, but I'm going to do it now. Because do even it. if it's, what, $85, it's good for five years, totally worth it. That was outrageous. Outrageous, man. I was there so early and almost missed the flight. All right. When we come back, we'll talk to somebody in Mrs. Doubtfire, the musical, which is coming up with a fabulous Fox that's next on KMOX.